Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Pastor Peter Bender talking about his presentation at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference at Concordia University, Chicago. I'm going to die. Every one of us is going to die. At the time of death, the Christian faces so many assaults. We think about the death of loved ones that causes, at times, unspeakable grief. We can be assaulted by the regret over the things that we have failed to do. We wonder about the future, what will happen to loved ones. Where shall we for refuge go? To Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. You can meet and hear Pastor Peter Bender making the case for a dying man's consolation Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. For more information, visit issuesetc.org. The hymn, May God Bestow on Us His Grace, those words also to the nation show Christ's riches without measure and unto God convert them. They reflect something of the gospel reading for this coming Sunday, according to the one-year lectionary. It's the parable of the sower. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Tuesday afternoon, the 7th of February. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. He joins us to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. What would you say is the major emphasis of this coming Sunday? In a simple phrase, the Word of God. The Word of God is the sole source of faith and salvation. The content of the Word is Christ. He is the Word made flesh. He's the content of the inscripturated Word. He's the content of the Word that we preach. When we catechize, we are catechizing Christ into people's hearts. So Sexagesima Sunday in the great parable of the sower and the seed focuses upon the Word of God as the sole source of faith and salvation from every way in which our sinful flesh succumbs to Satan's temptations and the tribulations of life and the allurements from the pleasures of this world. There is only one antidote to such attacks upon our faith. There's only one source of faith, and that is centered in Christ, who is the Word made flesh, to use the Apostle John's words from his gospel. But that is certainly talked about here in the Sexagesimus Sunday, this middle of the three Sundays of the Jesimus season. And the Greek phrase, it appears in the gospel, halogos tutheu, the word of God. And we remember the divine logos as being the eternal son of the father through whom all things were made and who redeemed all things. And is, as I said, the sum and substance of our faith, the one who creates faith and the one to which the trust of the heart clings. So that's really the focus of Sexagesimus Sunday, nearly 60 days now 
to Easter. Well, you say the emphasis is on Scripture alone. As you have begun to say right there, Christ himself is the content of those Scriptures. Yeah, this is so very important, Todd. You know, we teach Christian doctrine, all of the articles of the faith. But toward Christ is directed every article of the faith. And apart from the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, we can understand nothing about prayer, about the sacraments, about divine election, about salvation and condemnation. We can understand nothing apart from Christ. And as Christians, we are disciples of a person the person of the Son of God, our Savior. And so when we talk about Scripture alone, we're talking about how do we know who we are and how do we know who God is and what it is that he has done for us. We know these things in no other way but through the divine word, through the Holy Scriptures, and the content of the Scriptures is Christ, who is the eternal word of the Father. The inscripturated word, the preached word, the catechized word has as its sum and substance Christ, the eternal word through whom all things were made, and the one to whom faith clings, the word that became flesh, the word that died upon the cross and rose from the dead the third day. So Christ is the sum and substance of the inscripturated word that is planted into our hearts, and he is that divine and saving word which delivers us from Satan's attacks, from the testing of life, and from the allurements of this present age, even at those things are good gifts under the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, the gifts of daily bread. They can all become idols. They can all become objects of our worship and trust. But Christ alone is our Lord. Christ alone is our Savior. And to be a disciple of Jesus is to cling to him. And and this is what it means to bear fruit in good and honest hearts. It's that the heart is singularly focused upon Jesus, the source of faith and the source of salvation and the source of true life that gives meaning and purpose to our daily living. What is the collect for the coming Sunday? The collect for sexagesima reads as follows. O God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully grant that by your power we may be defended against all adversity. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So this particular Sunday, and I, as you know, like to focus principally upon the gospel and connect all of the propers to the gospel for the day, which is the parable of the sower and the seed. Faith, the creation of faith and the sustaining of faith against the attacks upon faith becomes one of the primary focuses of this Sunday that extols the word of God. And so that's why the collect begins by calling God the strength of all who put their trust in him. And then the petition of the collect for the day connects directly to those threats of faith which Christ speaks of in the parable of the sower and the seed. So the petition is mercifully grant that by your power we may be defended against all adversity. So those threats of faith that are identified in the parable of the sower and the seed are Satan, who wants to destroy faith, 
the various testings that happen in our life, tribulation, suffering of various kinds that threaten faith in Christ, the earthly cares of this world, trying to preserve them, the riches of this world, these all become temptations to draw faith away from its singular focus upon Christ and to make a God out of other things. So our sinful, unbelieving nature easily succumbs to such adversity. So by your power, mercifully grant that we may be defended against all such adversity. And so that's how it's amazing how the collect not only anticipates the gospel, but actually helps the preacher and the hearer of God's word understand what the message of law and gospel is for the day, or as we've been talking about in our sessions, the maladies that we suffer under and how those need to be addressed by the preacher in order that he might proclaim the gospel and hit the mark where those maladies are identified. The intro at Psalm 44, selected verses, how does it read and what would you say about it? Psalm 44, the Antiphon, verses 23, the first part of 25, the first part of 26, and then the body of the psalm, verses 1 and 2, and then 7 and 8. And so the Antiphon begins the intro. It it is in the form of a prayer to the Lord. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Rise up, come to our help. Now I want to pause, Todd, in the reading of the intro with that antiphon. Notice how it is anticipating that petition in the collect of the day that we, by God's mercy, may be defended against all adversity that comes upon us. And here we're crying out to the Lord, wake up. Why are you sleeping, O Lord, you know, against devil, world, and flesh, which assault my faith? Do not reject us. Our soul is bowed down to the dust. Rise up, come to our help. And then the body of the introit. O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days. In the days of old, with your own hand, drove out the nations. But them you planted. You afflicted the peoples but them you set free. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Notice in the intro it how it asserts from Psalm 44 that God makes a difference between his people and those who are not his people between those whom he has called to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus and those who in obstinate self-righteous impenitence have rejected him. And he makes a difference for our good and for our salvation, and we appeal to him in this intro at prayer. It thrusts ourselves as penitent believers upon the deliverance that only our Lord can give. He is the Lord that awakens our hearts, even as we call upon him to awaken. And he is the one that causes us to trust in him above all things, as we appeal to his promises of deliverance and salvation and help, according to the intro. So notice the emphasis upon hearing the Lord. 
hearing his deeds of old, hearing his salvation. Notice how that accents the word of God as the fountain and source of our knowledge of God and our right understanding of ourselves. When we hear him, we receive him. When we hear him, faith is created in our hearts. When we hear him, we are granted protection and every grace and blessing that we need. So what a wonderful way to confess our sins, hear the absolution, and then in this intro at prayer, lead into the singing of the Kyrie, Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. And then the great glory in excelsis before we pray that collect for the day that sets up the readings. The tract, Psalm 60. How does that one read? Psalm 60, verses 1 and 2 and verse 5. O God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. O restore us. You made the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it totters. That your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. Now, as we have noted, the tract in the one-year series and during the Jesima season is the verse, essentially, that precedes and sets up the gospel for the day. And when, when I pray these words from Psalm 60, you have rejected us, broken our defenses, you've been angry, oh, restore us. I'm reminded of Luther's word concerning the theology of the cross. If I might paraphrase what he says, it's essentially, in order to make us alive, God puts us to death. In order to save us, he condemns us to the pit of hell. In order to raise us to the heights of heaven, we are brought down to hell. So that theology of the cross, it's by his word that he shows us our need in the very circumstances of life when we are attacked by Satan or when we are put to the test and tribulation and adversity comes upon us. When the pleasures of life and the weaknesses of our flesh are tempted to make a god out of these things and we experience the futility of the pleasures of this life of earthly mammon and so forth by his word he shows us our need he puts us to death and he might raise us up he calls us to repentance that he might forgive our sin by his word he creates faith and saves and by his word we receive him so when we hear in the parable of the sower and the seed, those things which are the enemies of faith, I think it's important for the preacher and the hearer of the word on this Sunday to recognize how these enemies of faith threaten every one of us as Christians. They threaten to undermine the faith that the very word of God has created, and they're very real threats. And the good news is that God actually promises to work even through those circumstances when our faith is so attacked and assaulted to work for our good, for the preservation of our faith. And of course, this is only done by the word of God alone. So the word of God becomes the beginning and the middle and the end of our faith because in the word of God it is Christ who comes to us and he is the one who in the word of the gospel both creates faith, and then he is also the one to whom faith created by the gospel clings. And as I said, the tract sets up the 
gospel for the day. And I just, you think about the colic for the day, you think about the intro for the day, and you think of this tract for the day, how full of fervent petitioning and pleading to the Lord they are for us in our need as faith is assaulted by these enemies of faith. Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Up next, the gospel from Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower. Several issues, etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. What is mental health? The February issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question of mental health with contributions from the LCMS Task Force on Mental Health, which is tasked with providing resources for Lutheran church workers to better care for their own mental health and those entrusted to their care. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Grace, faith, scripture, and Christ alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. When a 2018 fire nearly destroyed Milwaukee's historic Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church, we got to work, but continued to give the gifts Christ freely gives to his saints here in Milwaukee as we have since 1847. We are nearly two-thirds of the way to completion on this historic restoration, but we need help to finish this work. Will you join us? Please consider joining us. Visit trinitymilwaukee.org for more information. And as pastor, I can't wait to welcome you home to Trinity. Save the date. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky, with visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Look for more information in early 2023 at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender. Pastor Bender will be making the case for a dying man's consolation at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. Making the Case is Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. The early bird registration fee of $140 includes three meals. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Lutheran Public Radio, 618-223-8385. Peter, what's the gospel reading for this coming Sunday? So here it is, the parable of the sower and the seed, not from Matthew's gospel, but recorded from Luke's gospel. And so we will use Luke's language, chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to Jesus, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, 
Some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Now, there's much in this gospel for the day, and as I said, the gospel for sexagesima certainly governs all of the propers for the day. Let's review a couple of things that we introduced last time in discussing Septuagesima Sunday and the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Kingdom parables of the Lord Jesus are those parables that uncover the mysteries of God's grace. That is to say how God's working is so radically different from how man works, how man thinks, or how man reasons. It unfolds in the language of Luke 8 here for this Sunday's Gospel, what is called the secrets of the kingdom of God. And I'd like you to think about this, Todd. If you stand back from the parable and just look at the grand sweep of it, in the culture of Jesus' day, they had sowers. I mean, people who sowed grain, that, that's the, the crop, whether it was barley or wheat. And seed was expensive. And so they were very well trained at scattering the seed in the well-tilled soil, ready to receive that expensive seed so that it would prosper and have the best chance of growing and bearing fruit. The idea of scattering seed among a pathway to be trampled underfoot or for the birds of the air to eat it or to scatter seed in soil that had not been adequately prepared. It was full of rocks. It had no depth of soil. It was not properly aerated. Or to sow seed where the ground there was full of thorns and thistles, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, if I had employed a sower and he wasted three quarters of the seed, I certainly would not be happy. This is an example of 
how in the parable there is an illumination of the grace of God in the very circumstances of the parable, which in some cases are actually odd or weird, or it's kind of like a curveball is being thrown at us. So these kingdom parables are so often highlighting the mystery of God's grace and how radically different that he is in his working. If we understand that the seed is the word of God and the preaching of Christ, is there any place where that preaching is not to be done? And of course, the answer is no. He is preached all over the world in every culture, in every nation, among all different kinds of people. It doesn't always bear fruit. It bears fruit when and where God pleases. But the nature of God's grace is on display in that scattering of the seed of the word literally all over the world. And then as further review, you know, Jesus teaches us the purpose of parables. And that's one of the unique things about the parable of the sower and the seed, both in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel. He gives the reason for it, doesn't it? That seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. To you, it has been given in parables. Parables are for Christians. Uh, Their message cannot really be understood apart from faith in Christ, apart from being catechized in the faith. So what parables do is they allow Christians the opportunity to meditate upon the nature of the gospel of Christ At the same time, they shroud their deeper message to unbelievers. And so I I like to speak of it as how parables give the Christian the opportunity to have the aha of faith, to realize things about the nature of the gospel and how Christ works that they perhaps didn't realize before. Now, the basic meaning or message of the parable of the sower and the seed centers around the Word of God as the sole source of faith and salvation. Jesus says, the seed is the Word of God. And there in the Greek, the word is halogos tutheu, that's the phrase, the Word of God. And it's very significant, namely the eternal Son of the Father. Halogos tutheu, he is the Word of God. So one could say that The Lord Jesus is the seed who gives life and salvation. So by the preaching of the gospel, by catechesis, he is the one that is planted in the heart. It is as if the parable is proclaiming Christ as the sum and substance, the very content of the word of God. The word that is preached into the heart, sowed into the soil of the human heart is Christ, the eternal Son, the Savior, who has redeemed us with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. And I might talk about the Apostle John's words in his gospel, the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him and apart from him. Nothing was made that was made. And so the eternal Son of the Father is the eternal Word of the Father by whom all things were made. And he is not only then the Creator, in him all things hold together, in him is life, and that life was the light of men, but he is also thereby the Redeemer of his fallen creation. So this is why I say the Word of God, the Lord Jesus, is the seed that is planted in the heart, and he is the sum and substance of faith. And we, as disciples of Christ, follow a person 
uh, not merely doctrines or assertions of the faith, as significant and as important as they are, they all illuminate Christ Jesus, who is the eternal word of the Father. So let us think about the living word as that which creates the living trust of the heart and love for Christ at the same time that the living word, namely Christ, is the object of faith and of the believer's love and affection above all things that might otherwise prey upon the heart's faith and affection in Christ. That phrase, the living word, actually is a phrase that is picked up on in the alternate epistle for the day from Hebrews chapter 4. We can take a look at the uh, particular soils then. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. That's how the quotation goes from the parable itself. The ones along the path, those who have heard, then the devil comes. Satan is an enemy of faith in Christ. Indeed, these three polluted soils, you might say, all represent ways in which faith is attacked or what the enemies of faith in Christ are. It says of Satan that he takes the word from their hearts. It means that the devil wants to take Christ literally out of our hearts, to destroy faith in the Lord Jesus so that we lose our salvation. So the parable of the sower and the seed is in large part very descriptive of how things happen. If someone believes in Christ and they lose their faith in Christ, it may be that Satan has destroyed that faith by his temptations and what he has done to take the word from them so that they're no longer hearing and receiving. The second soil, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. So a couple of points here under this, testing. What do you believe in in the face of attacks upon your faith in Christ. You know, testing, tribulation, adversity tempts us not to believe in Christ for relief from such testing or tribulation, but rather to seek relief and help elsewhere. So here you've got the image of having no root, root that is deeply into the soil, drawing its strength from Christ himself. So suffering and tribulation threaten faith in Christ if our faith in Jesus rests only in the joy that can come from salvation rather than exclusively in Christ and the objective truths of the gospel. There is joy in the gift of salvation, isn't there? And they rejoice for a time, but then they fall away. So as wonderful as the joy of salvation is, being a Christian is not chiefly about fanning the flames of emotional feeling and the joy that comes from having first come to know Christ and the comfort of his gospel. That's a wonderful gift, but we must not be tempted to a kind of theology of glory here to try to, to hold on to the joy and not understand that in the Christian faith and life there is suffering associated with it. So in the... Uh, First epistle option for the day from 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks of the thorn in the flesh and the sufficiency of Christ and his grace. And he says, he sought the Lord 
three times to remove this thorn. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so he took joy, not from being relieved of all suffering and testing and tribulation, but of how God, by his grace, would work his good through such suffering and tribulation that he might find his strength and sufficiency in Christ alone, which is, of course, what the seed of the word gives to us. The third soil, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as soon as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. A couple of things here. Choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. I spoke of the uh, prosperity gospel just a moment ago. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. You know, believe in Jesus for what you're going to get out of it. Believe in Jesus, you'll be delivered from the cares of life. Or believe in Jesus and you'll have great riches. Or believe in Jesus and your life will be always well-balanced and you enjoy the finer things of life. So that kind of prosperity gospel where Jesus becomes the genie in the bottle. You know, you rub the bottle, out pops the genie, and he gives you the things that you desire. You know, and some might say, well, if believing in Jesus isn't going to get me what I want, what's the point? And therein lies the problem with this kind of prosperity gospel. The flesh will look for its security and greatest good in satisfying earthly cares and in establishing earthly security in obtaining riches and in the enjoyment of life's pleasures and do so at the expense of Christ and let go of him. And I return to that assertion made at the outset. You know, we follow Jesus, not because of what we're going to get out of him, not because of the pleasures, but because of who he is. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. He is the one we love because he first loves us. And then finally, there's the parable of the good soil. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So quite a number of things need to be said here, Todd. First, good soil is created by God. We don't make of ourselves good soil. And I think that's a, a colossal mistake when someone reads the parable of the sower and the seed, or even when the pastor preaches it. Good soil is created by God. Paradoxically, through the very word that is responsible for creating faith in Christ is the very word by which the soil is made good. Honest and good hearts, or the heart that is full of integrity and goodness, comes from the word and from the word alone. The exclusive ministry of the word in preparing the heart. Thirdly, I would say all preaching, teaching, catechesis, Christian doctrine, is and must be centered in Christ, the divine logos, the divine word, the eternal word of the Father, who is our Redeemer, our Savior, our righteousness, our life, and our salvation. Only the pure word of Christ, who gives us Christ and who creates faith, can drive out Satan. There's the reference to the wayside. Only the pure word of Christ can strengthen us against the suffering of life, the rocks, the testing can deliver us from the idolatry of earthly pleasures, wealth, the thorns, and make of us fruitful Christians, the good soil 
of broken and contrite hearts who rejoice in Christ and out of the gifts of the word of the gospel, the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering are created. So I think it's important to remember, you know, if we use the language of the parable, soil is inert. It must be tilled. It must be aerated. It must be weeded. It must be prepared. And all of that is done by the farmer, or in this case, the sower. This parable, therefore, proclaims that faith in Christ is a miracle of the divine word alone. It describes many enemies of the faith, but ultimately it centers on the miracle of the divine word, both for the creation of that faith and for the deliverance from the enemies that threaten faith. We'll talk more about the power of God's word as we look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, in the Old Testament reading of Isaiah 55. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with woes to Pharisees and lawyers, the leaven of the Pharisees, no fear, the rich fool, and do not be anxious. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com. Casting Christ's net on the internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. At the center of our campus is Kramer Chapel, and there's a reason for that. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Arthur Just. Because it is the heartbeat of Concordia Theological Seminary. It is where we go to hear the voice of Jesus and frequently be fed with the body and blood of Christ. We sometimes call it our Jerusalem. Kramer Chapel points to the classroom, which we sometimes call Athens. It is there that we do theology, biblical studies, systematic theology, practical theology, history. We love theology here, and we love the study of it, and we love 
coming together in worship, it's one of the things that gives us great joy. Joy in worshiping, joy in studying theology. Concordia Theological Seminary is all about the joy of being in Jesus. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest. So naturally, Peter, the Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday is the familiar territory of Isaiah 55. Wonderful text. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. So Isaiah illustrates the power of the word. It shall not return to me empty or void, but it shall accomplish what I purpose and succeed in the purposes for which I sent it. And notice in this image of new life set forth in Isaiah 55, that the word of God is the source of life and joy. So how the intro and the collect for the day and the tract are then sort of answered in the joy and the certainty and the new life, according to the Old Testament reading that the Word of God gives. The gradual is a few verses of Psalm 83. Let your enemies know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. O oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. So here in the gradual, Todd, we are praying against those enemies that assault faith in Christ, that desire to rob us of the word of Jesus and take Jesus out of our heart. So in the gradual, the enemies of the Lord are to be understood as the enemies of the word who are marshaled against us, but they'll be like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. So the basic assertion of the gradual is that these enemies have no real power against the power of the word of Christ. So it's a wonderful transition between the Old Testament, the power of the word of God that will not return void, and both of the epistle readings that are set forth as options for this Sunday that extol the power of the word to give us that deliverance. How does the epistle from 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 read for us? This is somewhat lengthy epistle. The first major section of it, Paul is defending his apostleship. And when he does so, he is doing so to extol the power of the word that he is called to proclaim that has nothing to do with who he is, but his call and election. And then the second half centers upon the sufficiency of God's grace that comes to him in the word of the gospel. So it reads, you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. 
But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eratos was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I know that this man was caught up into paradise, Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Todd, what you have here in this extended autobiographical epistle, 2 Corinthians from Paul, is really how he, in this madman rant that he says, you want me to boast? I'll boast about my pedigree and all of the stuff that, that happened to me. He is really saying there that I had no ability to endure any of these things, apart from the word of the gospel that called me to be an apostle in the first place, And he references Damascus when the Lord met him and when he called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He talks about all of the ways in which he suffered as an apostle. And if you think about it, all of the enemies of faith and of the gospel of Christ that were highlighted in the parable of the sower and the seed are really outlined there in that autobiographical section. So Paul defends his apostleship. He extols the power of Christ in his word as that which he not only proclaimed, but also that which strengthened and preserved him in the face of such testing. 
Paul teaches us that the mystery or paradox that Christ by his word actually uses the suffering, tribulation, and testing of life to strip him and to strip us of any and everything we might otherwise be tempted to be to rely upon except Christ and the word of his gospel of grace. So we learn from Paul that Christ and his grace proclaimed in the word of the gospel is the sole sum and substance of our faith and that by which we are preserved. And so that's how it ends. You know, my grace is sufficient for you. That's what the Lord Jesus says to us in the midst of all of the attacks upon our faith. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So it gives a lot of opportunities for the pastor to explore how God even uses those enemies of faith in our lives as he used them in Paul's life to extol the virtue of the word of God and the all-sufficiency of the word of God and Christ our Savior who comes to us in the word of the gospel. We're talking with Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Looking forward to Sunday morning. We will summarize this coming Sunday's propers in terms of law and gospel after this. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Pastor Peter Bender talking about his presentation at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference at Concordia University, Chicago. I'm going to die. Every one of us is going to die. At the time of death, the Christian faces so many assaults. We think about the death of loved ones that causes, at times, unspeakable grief. We can be assaulted by the regret over the things that we have failed to do. We wonder about the future, what will happen to loved ones. Where shall we for refuge go? To Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. You can meet and hear Pastor Peter Bender making the case for a dying man's consolation Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. For more information, visit issuesetc.org. Keeping the message straight. Getting the message out. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's life ministry is thousands of people sharing Christ's love and mercy and giving witness to our Lord's creation of life, His design for marriage and the family, and the God-given value of all human life from conception to natural death. Working with many partners, LCMS Life Ministries sponsors human care efforts that meet the needs of body and soul and provides resources and educational events for all ages. To learn more, email lifeministry at lcms.org and visit lcms.org life. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Peter, before we get to the law gospel summary of these propers, what would you say briefly about that alternative epistle reading 
that you mentioned before? Well, it is from Hebrews 4 and verses 9 through 13. He talks about there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience for the word of God. There's the phrase again, the divine logos is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And then it concludes with no creatures hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So Sabbath rest should remind us of the third commandment, shouldn't it? And how preaching and teaching of God's word is that which gives us true rest from sin, from death, from Satan, from those tribulations of life, the testing, the idolatry of earthly pleasures, etc. The epistle extols the power of the word, the divine logos. It, he, Christ, is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. One thinks of the law and gospel that divides joints and marrow, soul and spirit. And the intention of the word of God, according to this epistle, is to break down the strongholds of false faith, and to convert the heart and bring about the true Sabbath rest and the gift of salvation. It's a wonderful alternative to the Second Corinthians passage. So let's try and summarize all of this in terms of law and gospel. In terms of law and gospel, our malady to which the law must be addressed, I would say several things. Number one, our flesh as Christians is easy prey for satanic attacks upon our faith. And we mustn't forget it. Satan wants to destroy faith and rob us of Jesus. Number two, our flesh will easily run from testing, won't it? It'll run from tribulation. It'll run from hardship. And it will seek relief outside of Christ. Number three, our flesh will easily make a God out of the pleasures of life. And many of these pleasures may be good, the gifts of daily bread. But they can't replace Christ. And they may also turn the Christian faith into a theology of glory. Number four, that we can make of our own hearts good and honest hearts must be rejected as if we can prepare our hearts to receive the word. We can't. We need the word from beginning to end. And number five, that we don't understand and believe that Christ is the substance of our faith and the one we worship, even if all else is stripped from us. Christ alone our souls will feed. He is our meat and drink indeed. Faith lives upon no other. And that leads to the gospel for the day, the unique gospel. Number one, Jesus is the word of God who is preached and taught into our hearts to make of us good and honest soil, to bring us to faith and to keep and preserve us in the faith. Number two, Jesus is the fountain and source of joy as Christians. He is the sole object of our faith. We believe in a person, and by the word of the gospel, we learn to love and trust in him above all else. Number three, all catechesis, preaching, every activity of the church, even the harsh treatment of the law, has as its goal to bring us to Christ and to preserve us in Christ that we might find our sufficiency in him. And finally, the Lord promises to work by his word of grace, even in our weaknesses, failings, and temptations, to draw us to himself in broken and contrite faith that our joy may be solely in Jesus, the eternal word of the Father who is our life and our salvation, our comfort, our strength, our sufficiency. 
Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thanks. Thanks so much, Todd. Wednesday on Issues Etc., Dr. Jordan Cooper and I will review Luther's large catechism with annotations and contemporary applications and its media coverage of religion with Terry Mattingly. Then on Thursday, we'll discuss religions on trial with attorney Mark Lanier. Well, Jesus has sown the seed of his word into you, and it has taken root, and it has grown up, and it has brought forth faith and the fruits of faith. Thanks be to God. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Good Shepherd says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. We invite you to join us as we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him who gives us eternal life. Sunday worship services at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class at 1030, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. That's goodshepherdarnold.org.